it's off the fence. We're back. It's been a little while. It has been. We've been off living rich and fulfilling lives. Uh, for instance, I have been mostly uh, eating those McCain's tortilla foldover chips that they have now. <laughs> uh, that, that's been my main occupation for okay. the last month. And it, it's been good. It's been the best time of my life. Okay, this is Off The Fence. We're back. My name's James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. And we're going to be talking about politics, mainly elections. There's a general election on the horizon. We've kind of been talking about that almost forever because it's felt like there's been one on the cusp for a long time since kind of halfway through the Brexit negotiations. Yeah, the threat has been there for like quite a while now. But now we're here and now one is coming very likely for just after Halloween. (laughs) Very spooky. Of course, the thing about that is like whatever happens if it comes after Halloween, we'll we'll get into this later. (laughs) I I have theories. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're going to be talking about that mainly. Why a general election might be coming up uh, very likely. um, What it's going to mean and how the Labour Party might take on someone like Boris Johnson compared to how they did in the last election. Uh, So those are things that we're going to be talking about. Um, and obviously there's a new government since we put out an episode. There is. A lot of stuff has happened. A lot of stuff You would have thought we would have been able to get our shit together, but yeah, no. Yeah, but we've been busy. We've been busy writing books. I know I have been. Um, that's that's what I've been... No, that's what Alex has been doing. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing I do sometimes. It's a bit cool. You can ask me about it. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to be talking about that a little bit about the new government as well and a few people that have been elevated to positions well beyond their CV or rather... Failing upwards, maybe, is the better way of putting it. Um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about all of that. If this is the first time listening to our show, then welcome aboard. Thanks for giving us a listen. You can hear us on uh, soundcloud.com slash off the fence. You might be there already, but we're also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all those places, uh, Stitcher. And then on Twitter, we are at off the fence talk. So grab us on there um, where we tweet bullshit throughout the week. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good that we can just scream into the void at all times rather than just when we're recording this. We have a general election potentially coming up. And we do. I, I find we should wind back a little bit to run through why and where, where things might be leading. You do find yourself sitting down these days with people with friends, with people who maybe don't follow politics quite so much, or maybe they do, and you just get that question, so what's going on with Brexit lately? <laughs> it's a bit like, well, where do we begin? But let's start here with Boris Johnson coming to the helm as leader of the Conservative Party and new Prime Minister, and someone with a new, well, you could say new, kind of not new at the same time, negotiating strategy with the EU for some sort of new Brexit deal. What does he want to do? Well, he's come in and he said, look, you know, European Union, if you drop the backstop, the Irish backstop, then I'll come back to the negotiating table and we'll secure a new deal. Otherwise, we'll leave with a no deal. Which is a little bit of a weird thing at first because they've literally said, like, we can't, we're not going to drop the backstop. That's it. And, yeah. and the even, backstop is literally a major determining factor yeah. in whether or not there are like bombs going off in Northern yeah. Ireland. And, and on top of that, the European Union have said, yeah, well, we don't want to negotiate a new deal anyway, so stop trying to make us. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to negotiate a deal over red lines that they've discussed time yeah. and time and time again. So pretty much widely accepted that there's not going to be any more movement on any sort of deal that's going to change or anything at the last minute. Although yeah. that seems to be the strategy of Johnson and his new advisor, Dominic Cummings, that if we try and bluff the EU by saying that we're actually going to leave without a no deal at the last minute, you know, with one minute to midnight, they're going to call us up and go, please, 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 we'll get rid of the backstop and uh, uh, do what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, we all know what like the outcome will be if the sort of EU doesn't agree to something. 
Uh, basically, what's going to happen is uh, the planes probably won't fall out of the sky, but our industry will be sort of picked apart by the EU over the course of several years. Well, we'll have to agree to we'll have to agree to some like deeply degrading, sort of massively biased uh, deal with the US. They're going to be the ones that end up really benefiting from this, yeah. uh, because we're going to be completely over a barrel, as people have been saying for literally the last three years. The only thing that the EU has said about the backstop is that, well, you know, if you want to do something else, you need to come up with an idea, right? You need to come up with something that can be done in replacement of the Irish backstop so there doesn't have to be a border on the island of Ireland between the Republic and Northern Ireland. So there doesn't have to be disruption and border checks like there used to be back with the Troubles. So... And not just back with the Troubles, but back before a million different arrangements that came exactly. out that will like massively disrupt people's lives that revolve around there not really not being a border there or being a sort of completely frictionless border. A lot of the Brexiteers have said, you know, oh, well, there's, we can do technological arrangements where we won't have to have proper checks because there'll be technology involved, yeah. cameras and scans and That's everything like, how like does, that. How does that work for people whose farms cross the border? <laughs> yeah. How does that work for them? How does it work for people who... There's literal barns that run across the border with animals inside the barns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but anyway... Yeah, that, no, that... If, you, if you walk from one end to the bar- of a barn to the other, you're potentially an illegal immigrant. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. <laughs> and that technology that's been talked about has been said, well, it might be ready pretty soon, actually. Ten years. Which is a, yeah, that's a wild <laughs> way of saying it isn't ready yes. and won't be for the Ten years' future. time, you know, well, ten years of disruption and ten years of waiting for the right arrangement and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it will take, like, the sort of remnants of the IRA 11 years to dig up all their guns. All of this, obviously, makes no deal more likely, right? It increases the likelihood of the United Kingdom leaving without a deal with the European Union. Yeah, at this point, they're commi- they appear to be committed to playing chicken. And... Like we said, the rhetoric is backing this up from Boris Johnson and Number Ten, as, as like as it would kind of have to be. Like yeah. if you were trying this incredibly stupid thing, you know, it would have to be something you commit to to the extent that they are. The ministers involved, the the new cabinet have to all be signed up to leaving without a deal, and and special advisors as well. They're you know kicking out special advisors and filling positions with people who are really signed up to the idea of leaving without a deal. It's becoming a very kind of purist. Um, government in that sense. Well, that's that's been the way appointments worked. They were definitely, definitively handed out to people who were loyalists rather than people who were, you know, necessarily the best placed or the most conducive to any sort of continuity in running these departments. But it's it's different from the May government, which is basically did the same thing. She said a million times, no deal is better than the bad deal. We're leaving on the 29th of March. Yeah, but she always looked like she was about to burst into tears, (laughs) which kind of... prevents that yeah um so anyway you know we're under the impression that we're meant to be leaving uh, the eu and this whole thing of this bluff i said st- we've said it like so many times like uh, if we pretend that we're really going to leave with no deal and we tell everyone and they're saying this on like national television like like the eu can't watch the bbc or something like that like yeah. so well no we've got to make them believe that we're going to leave without a deal. That's how we get the best deal. Like, yeah, I lo- you just said that on I love TV. Say, uh, yeah, I love to say it's part of a publicly available interview that, guys, they really need to believe our bluff. <laughs> anyway, on to the actual situation that seems to be coming to a head. Obviously, there's a lot of people in Parliament, there's a lot of people in the country who are opposed to the idea of no deal. There's a lot of people that are really keen on the idea of no deal. Around 40% of the country seem to be backing a party or parties that will deliver it. 
and when polled, it shows pretty consistently that about 40% of people exactly. outright back that outcome. And generally speaking, I believe more people than back any other single option. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast will be un- under the impression and will be aware that no deal does not mean leaving with the same arrangements that we have right now. Because there, there is that kind of yeah. weird... People that maybe don't follow these things completely like obsessively as some might be under the impression that no deal just means... Oh, the kind of like, you know, the Noel Edmonds deal, no deal. We'll just walk away with uh, yeah. what we've got. You, the kind of car analogy, right? When well, go- they don't believe that the EU does anything for us right now. They believe that all it does is takes on money and lets in right. sort of, you know, people from Europe, like whatever sort yeah. of Muslim terror they have, like trapped in their but weird little brains. The car analogy is the other one, right? The Brexiteers use. Oh, when you're, uh, you know, you know, when you go to buy a car, you can walk away if you don't like the deal. And it's like, yeah, but then you walk away with the same arrangements that you went in with, right? You didn't yeah. have a car or you have the same car. It's more like saying, I'm going to move house. I've moved out of the house now. And are we going to have a house that's similar to the last house? A house that's somewhat similar to the last house or no deal at all when I'm going to be homeless? Yeah. Like that's the difference <laughs> of, you know, it's not going back to how things were before. It is a completely like yeah, disruptive it's, break. Yeah, it's you need to buy a new house because your car is being repossessed yeah. and you can either buy a new car or you can not be able to get to work and your family will starve and your house will be taken from you. So that's the situation that's approaching us no deal. And like I said, there's a lot of people opposed to it in the country and in Parliament. Parliament will try to move to block it. They didn't quite manage to block it in March. It ended up being that Theresa May ended up blocking it by going with the extension in the end, right? There's running out of procedures in Parliament to be able to do this. And let's remember the Labour Party did put a motion to Parliament where they take control of parliamentary procedures to be able to do a no-deal preventative blocking day in, like, July. And that was not uh, supported by any Tories. I think apart from Ken Clark, um, people like Rory Stewart in the middle of the Tory leadership election said, I should support this thing on paper, but I can't support it right now. Um, Even though I really think no-deal is the worst idea, I'm not going to support something that would block no-deal because it's been put forward by Jeremy Corbyn. No, no, no. I'm sure you must misunderstand. Rory Stewart is the principled conservative. He's the (laughs) conservative who I might want at one of my dinner parties, as opposed to Boris Johnson, who I would invite to my dinner party out of obligation, but would kind of sort of passive-aggressively slight the entire time. But when those principles come up for, you know, challenge, he doesn't, you know, follow through with them. Yeah, because they don't... He's just as much of a partisan hack as the rest of them. There anyway, are no good Tories, guys. So that's the situation. We, we can't do any sort of formal blocking vote. What is probably going to happen is a no-confidence motion tabled by Jeremy Corbyn once again, like happened in January when that was defeated by about 20 votes. And now that we've had a bunch of by-elections that have seen the Boris Johnson's majority drop... So I think one now. Yeah, pretty precipitously. It looks like there could be a lot of Tories that could shift over. I mean, under May, those Tories backed her up. But under Boris Johnson, there's a lot of Tories like Dominic Grieve who've said they'll, they'll, they'll bring down the government and there's others as well. So we could be seeing uh, Boris Johnson likely defeated in a no-confidence motion. Then what happens? Well, that's the big speculation at the moment, right? Boris yep. Johnson and Dominic Cummings saying they're just going to sit in in number 10 and wait it out why not just pure pure sort of dictatorship they've said if they lose it they're going to just call an election for november 1st or sometime just after brexit day so therefore the campaign runs through to october 31st we leave without a deal 
just as they've said that we absolutely have to, and he's apparently promised all the Brexiteers. And then we have an election voting day, two days, one day after. For me, I think that it's, it's incredibly cynical, and I think it's, I see it being a massive victory for the Conservatives in that instance. Unless, I mean, campaigns can run different ways, and there'll be a lot, but just under the pure instance that there is no period of time for the the headlines and the no deal stories and the disruption to actually become apparent. I mean, one day, one day, what's that? It's like we're going to leave without a deal on October 31st, wake up and then we've all got to vote, right? The Brexit is going to love it. We've left. You can see the headlines that are going to be on the front pages of like the Daily Mail and the Telegraph. We finally left. Now go and vote for the government that did it or whatever, something like that. Yeah, although at the same time, I am not so confident that it will be this massive route. Like, okay, thing number one, there are a lot of people out there who are mostly motivated by wanting to leave the EU politically. Like They believe that the political problems that we have are rooted in the fact that we, you know, we are in the EU and we, you know, are being sort of fettered and held back by the EU and that we could go back to having a great empire if we just believed in ourselves. And I think that those people will frankly be a like kind of demobilized by the fact that like well, Brexit is happening either way but also the main the main issue that the Labour Party has had in recent uh, like in recent months is that they are kind of in an inherently difficult position as long as they have to make a call on Brexit because the Labour Party are the only party other than Conservatives who stand a chance of forming any sort of government majority. And that's an issue because the majority of constituencies in this country voted to leave, which basically means that whoever wants to form a majority has to placate them in some way. Now, obviously, the Liberal Democrats, safe in the knowledge that they'll never actually have to live up to this, can just go, oh, uh, we'll def- we, we back uh, remaining in the EU under all conditions. We'll back a second referendum if that looks like it'll get us there with some amount of legitimacy. But we don't particularly care about legitimacy. We'll want to stay in the EU either way, and so it doesn't matter whatever. We're the Remain party. We're the party of Remain no matter what. We're a Remain party. And the Labour- if you believe in Remain, the Labour party is failing you by not being a Remain in all circumstances no matter what party. And that's that's genuinely allowed them to seize a lot of stuff from the Labour Party, a lot of support from the Labour Party, who kind of assumed, well, the Labour Party, are, I, I'm a progressive, the Labour Party are the most progressive party. Uh, a lot of people genuinely believe now that the most progressive stance you can take is staying in the EU right now. And so the Labour Party is forced to have to, you know, placate a important minority of their vote at the cost of really irritating their base but they need both in order to win so it's not like they can just double down on the base yeah and if they do not get a choice on staying in or leaving the eu then they don't have to split that they they can say the way the conservatives have scheduled this brexit is happening either way what kind of country do you want this to be? Who do you want steering us through this? Do you want it to be us and we can roll out another of these manifestos that back all these popular things that can potentially get people motivated, that got people motivated in 2017? Or you can have the Conservatives, or you can waste your vote on the Liberal Democrats Mm. who will bring you nothing, 
who like the main thing that they're promising will be irrelevant by the time the election happens they they are dooming themselves to irrelevance here it's either who do you want to be in the driver's seat of this the other thing to talk about there hasn't been uh, an election at this time period for quite some time i can't remember when it was and i understand there's also a kind of a history of prime ministers calling elections at this time of year and it not going quite well for them i think uh, one of heath's elections was at that time i think 74 maybe i can't remember okay so bad star sign for yeah i mean it's a bad star sign what what, we're in leo season right right now yeah yeah yeah. okay leo's leo's give bad energy for elections guys but i mean for election day the actual voting day as in autumn fall um winter you know that sort of time okay um so it's not gone well for other prime ministers in the past and i just wonder if that's going to be the case again I, I, you know, I find those sorts of things a little bit like, well, there's always there could be another one that's not so bad, you know, or people just annoyed about having to vote when it's a little bit colder. I mean, the people who are... I feel like when you suppress turnout, it helps the Conservatives rather yes. than the Labour Party. Yes, because so... the people who are least likely to vote are the most likely to vote for, you know, a Labour thing. I mean, more um, examples of an election that could be coming. Boris Johnson's chief of staff cancelled all leave for government advisers until 31st of October, raising further speculation the government is planning for a four-snap general election in the aftermath of the UK leaving the EU with no deal. And that's from The Guardian. Um, They also say the directive angered many recipients who say staff are exhausted and are facing an unprecedented workload in September and October. Yeah, but I, I still... I think that that's quite weak. Like... These advisors are also people where they can do that or they can just say, well, we brought them in for Brexit. And so this this is something that they can kind of play either way. It, yeah. To me, this is very non-committal. Mm. We should talk about the fixed term Parliament Act right now, because when Boris Johnson does lose that motion of no confidence and they're saying, well, we'll just call an election for November 1st, then what we're meant to happen is two weeks where another prime minister has tried to be selected um, which is obviously the leader of the opposition, and first instance Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and then, if anyone, you know, if that if that can't be worked out, and that that doesn't receive uh, a majority of MPs supporting him in in the House of Commons um, after two weeks, then an election will be scheduled, and that has to be a minimum of six weeks. So we're looking at an eight-week period from losing this confidence vote, uh, Boris Johnson, to when an election date might happen, which is. Um, like just in time for Brexit Day. Um, anyway, now the other thing is, he's saying November first, uh, or they're saying that they try and schedule one earlier. Elections are always on Thursdays usually, since at least like 35 or 33, they've always been on elections, by-elections, general elections, and they're trying to subvert convention so that they can do one on the Friday, November first, quickly. Because if there was a week span between leaving with no deal. And the election day. I think things could turn against the Conservatives yeah, um, quite considerably. I mean, I don't know who decides these things for when the election day, whether they can subvert convention like that so easily. I mean, I, who decides? Yeah, <laughs> it, it has it, to be is, on a Thursday. Is anything stopping them? I mean, there's probably some stupid reason why they've always been on Thursdays, right? Like daylight savings time or something like that. You know, like in America, there's something to do with farmers being... They have to have it on a Thursday yeah. so they could travel to vote. You know, in France, they have it on Saturdays. Um, Which seems like a much better yeah, option. Yeah, a much better idea. Have your vote at the weekend when people are actually going to be available to vote. Yeah. Um, funny that. But alongside all of this, about, you know, when there'll be this period, this two weeks after the confidence motion when Jeremy Corbyn will have to try and see if he can get a support of all the MPs, which will involve Tories voting for him, there's this idea that's been going around of this government of national unity a kind of a caretaker government, which presumably 
you know, Jeremy Corbyn will be leading, but a lot of the centrists out there, a lot of everyone else has been saying, no, it can't be Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, they it don't to believe be in some... unity that no. much. <laughs> it has to be some obscure Labour backbencher. Or ideally, a <laughs> one of the good Conservatives that they still believe in. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like, I can't think of a better plan to literally hand Boris Johnson a bigger majority than he's, he'll ever wish for yeah, yeah, yeah. No, than no, no, doing no. that. That will piss off. What's so- not to love about a centrist anti-Brexit coup? I can imagine no way that that would backfire. Yeah, I just, oh, like, you know, it's it's not the guy, uh, it's not the leader of the Labour Party, the official opposition, the guy that over 12 million votes in the last election. It's not the leader of the Conservative Party um, or the Conservative Party last time got however many votes, you know, um, 13, 14 million. It's not, it's not either of those. It'll be some obscure... I mean, maybe not obscure, someone like Yvette Cooper. But even so, like most people in the country haven't heard lo- of Yvette Cooper. Why do they all love Yvette Cooper I don't know. so much? I, I, have, don't, I don't know. No, why, like, why do they think, oh, she's so cool? Because it plays up to the... It plays up to the, you know... I don't want to use the word caricature, but the kind of like romantic image of what a politician should be, like a strong politician. You know, that idea of... You know, the, the kind of, you know, all the conventions and everything like that. Whereas people like Jeremy Corbyn, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump come in and they're not the cookie cutter politician rolling up their sleeves kind of thing. You know what I mean? I mean, that's part of it. There's got to be more to it than that. But I feel like that's part of it. I just I just think that they massively over exaggerate her record of competence. Like I've never I, like if she's so great. For a start, why did she completely eat shit against Jeremy Corbyn? Yeah, you go back and watch clips of Yvette Cooper yeah. in the Labour League. It's literally election. just like her arguing that she was the candidate of nothing good is possible, yeah. and that's why you should vote it for was, me. It was it was responsible. Yeah, no, she's responsible enough to know that you can't ever have good things. It was it was painful at the time, and it, going back and watching the clips now, it's actually kind of like a bit of a wake up call to how things were back then. And anyway, on this idea... No, no, no. You, you d- politics didn't exist before 2016. Oh. That's <laughs> that's when politics started up again, after we'd done a good job of agreeing not to do any more politics. In relation to this, we're going to hear a clip now, and this is actually from Labour MP Wes Streeting. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Channel 4 News the other night, and this is actually in response to the GDP figures, because we've had a, a first quarter of negative growth for the country uh, since 2012, I think. Uh, obviously, if we have another quarter of negative growth, that's a recession, um, which would be coming around November 10th, 11th, we'll get those figures. I mean, it's also worth mentioning, like, business people have been saying for ages, we've been in a recession the entire time when you actually look at, like, the buying power of normal people. We never emerged from the recession. And as a result of austerity and conservative policy, we just kind of gave off the illusion of being out of one. But yeah, like, it's falling, it's bad. Sajid Javid, though, he's been saying... uh, I don't think a recession will come, um, and I believe in no deal Brexit. But anyway, that's what they were talking about on this segment of Channel 4 News. But just at the end, uh, Christian Guru Murphy did ask him about this idea of a government of national unity and how that would work, and whether Jeremy Corbyn should be thinking about stepping aside just to let someone else come in, because that wouldn't completely Again. undermine him whatsoever. Yeah. Again, they, they believe in national unity, but not that much. Do you think he should engage with the idea of a sort of a unity government, possibly led by somebody else, whether it's Yvette Cooper or Ken Clark or somebody that Tories, Liberal Democrats, SNP and Labour MPs can get behind 
in order to stop a no-deal Brexit at the end of October? Well, I, I think one thing that we all agree on in the Labour Party is our first priority has got to be stopping a catastrophic no-deal. The question is, how do we do that? It's not unreasonable for Jeremy Corbyn, as leader of the opposition, to expect that if the government loses a no-confidence vote in <coughs> September, which it, which it very well might over no-deal, that he, as leader of the opposition, would be given the first opportunity to form a government. And would you say I, people should I, get behind him? I, I think we should get behind, uh, yes, certainly, because I think we've got to have a government that's committed to stopping no-deal. The reality, though, Krishnan, in order to do that, we would have to have Conservative MPs backing a Labour government led by Jeremy Corbyn. The chance of that happening are very unlikely. Even, even the biggest optimist, and I'm usually an optimist, um, is very unlikely. I think if we have to have a government of national unity for a limited period of time, for the sole purpose of stopping no deal, that is a price worth paying to safeguard people's jobs and people's livelihoods, which seems it used to be the priority of any government, that they put jobs, livelihoods and the economy first. What we've heard from Sajid Javid today is, is just the most extraordinary performance I can think of from any Chancellor actively preparing for a no-deal Brexit that he knows, and I know, would harm the jobs and livelihoods of every family in this country. Okay, a few interesting things in that clip there, just as we go through I mean, the first it. thing I have to say is to be in any way cognizant of politics for the last uh, really 10 years or so and still be able to describe yourself as an optimist, you've got to be some sort of serial killer, right? <laughs> I mean, some would say it's hard to stay optimistic. It's, but... well, it's, it's certainly hard to stay optimistic about anything other than, like, well, maybe the left of the Labour Party will get in and actually <laughs> fix any of the major systemic crushing issues that we're facing in our immediate future. What did we hear in that clip, though? We heard a few things there. Interesting to hear him literally coming out and being like, yeah, no, obviously we should back Corbyn in a Labour... Uh, yeah, that is typically not the song he sings. Yeah, so all, but it's also it's that. also something that uh, you say that, and it is true. But that's what differentiates people like we're streeting from the Chukramunas. And the I mean, you might they might be kind of cut from the same cloth. That's the kind of thing why he's still in the Labour Party. Yeah, and whereas the Chukramunas and the Christalis have buggered off completely. Yeah, one would rather have a Labour Party in power than a Conservative Party yeah. in power. Um, and also, he did mention as well there, something that Labour would be consistent on, despite absolute morons out there that still can't get the message, the Labour Party have consistently been against the no-deal Brexit. And you've got people like, what, Carol Malone from The Mirror, that clip with uh, Dawn Butler, I think it was, on the Jeremy Vine show, whatever it was, uh, where Carol Malone was like, they haven't been consistent, they're flip-flopping everywhere. Yeah, like she's, her, in her head, on that, I remember that clip, in her head, Carol Malone just thinks, oh, well, Labour, Brexit equals flip-floppy, not sure. Therefore, if a Labour politician next to me brings up Brexit, I can say, you're not deciding on anything. Which like, is, I mean, that's fundamentally rooted in, like, no, they've been decided on their policy for years. I mean, in, in terms of no-deal Brexit, they have been 100% consistent. They are absolutely opposed to it under yeah. all circumstances. No, no, no. There are two possibilities. There, you believe in leave and so you're going to do anything to make leave happen. Yeah. Or you believe in remain <laughs> so you'll do anything to make remain happen. The idea that, for instance, you might think remain is best, but you might also understand that democratic legitimacy is necessary in our society is basically unthinkable to these people who effectively... What these people are basically asking for with this sort of centrist government of national unity is basically the fantasy of a like a sort of benevolent aristocracy to take the reins yeah. again. Just the sort of the people who are fundamentally like above any of the actual problems that people face uh, in their like day to day lives, but will fundamentally take charge for this and sort of rule us justly is a fundamentally sort of aristocratic hope. And it, it says a lot that these people 
are and, pushing and, for that. And there's been talk of, like, we come back to that person, you know, who's going to lead this government of national unity, which somehow already on centrist Twitter has shorthand of GNU. Like, it's been five minutes, guys. I mean, you say that, but, like, I know centrists who've been saying, well, they should have immediately formed a government of national unity as soon as Brexit went through. Really? To make sure... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been, like, a thing for a while. That the, Why can't An these people... Underground centrist meme. Why, why can't these people just put politics aside on this political issue and just administrate... Like, it, it's like we say, it's the sort of neoliberal ideological premise number one, which is running a country and deciding how a country should be run is not fundamentally a political project. Yeah. It, the only thing that is a political project is sort of reshaping it in any way. And like I was going to say, <laughs> there's a lot of people have been talking about who's going to lead this government of national unity if it's some backbench, and they're saying, we need an apolitical neutral figure. Oh, yes, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no MP is apolitical. Like... <laughs> No, no politics is apolitical. You need to understand that. There's no neutral position, um, you know, generally speaking. I mean, by apolitical, they mean someone that the public sphere agrees with. Yeah. Someone who shares the politics of your average, like, newspaper columnist. Coming back to the Carol Malone thing, with, uh, the reason why I mentioned that is I've seen other people like that Woodmill Jollyon guy from Twitter, um, the QC, uh, saying that uh, Labour have consistently blocked measures to, st to stop no deal and it's like sorry come on like literally just untrue literally so untrue i mean i don't know what he counts as like measures to stop no brexit you've got to assume it's things like by blocking it what they mean is like jeremy corbyn has refused to stand down yeah I, this is the problem i feel like it's just so many people seem so demoralized at this point with brexit with you know the two parties with whatever and it's kind of like well who are you listening to when you've got people like that barking on like just yeah, well, this is literally putting out bullshit. Like, oh, yeah, the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn has consistently blocked measures to stop No Deal, and it's like uh, maybe he's almost tabled as many motions more than anyone else. Maybe he's put out more things to try and stop No Deal than yeah, almost like anyone three, else. Three different uh, second referendum bills. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he's totally against the second referendum, guys. Even though he's he's put out tons of motions, you know, and tons I mean, of votes. It whipped MPs. You know. <laughs> no, 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 it's because, like, my grand theory is like. Every one of these people has been driven insane by the fact that they didn't care about this before the referendum. Like, they assumed it would just go through, that everything would be fine, that nothing can change in politics. And so they basically haven't got it through their heads that, like, well, we know Jeremy Corbyn was a Remain supporter because he campaigned all over the country in the run-up to the referendum to remain and then it was decided in the referendum the idea of that being a legitimate framing is nonsense because that was ba that basically didn't count for them because bluntly they weren't paying attention and now they regret it yeah and then the conspiracy theory that jeremy corbyn went on a holiday in the middle of the referendum yeah, campaign which, which just didn't happen no 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 but it doesn't matter because <laughs> it sounds like the kind of thing that would happen speaking of because speaking of centrist conspiracy theories there's a new one right oh hell yes did you hear about the uh, national grid going down yesterday yesterday the other day yes uh, southern rail uh, i remember Express. the pop-up notifications well but yeah loads of power outages in london the southeast train companies affected and uh, the latest conspiracy theory I saw from uh, various blue tick centrist commentators was that. Come on. 
it's it's all uh, it's all been planned. You know, it's a it's a it's a false flag or whatever. Fuck yes. <laughs> Pre Brexit, it's almost like it's uh, too convenient. Oh, I love it. If there's one thing that the government wants to have in the run up to Brexit and a potential referendum, it's them failing to keep the lights on. <laughs> Let's do massive disruption now, guys, so that when you know the big disruption happens from Brexit, it just will kind of blend in. Fuck yes. I hope it is true because that means we can expect more of the Conservatives just. Do these people think House of Cards was a documentary? <laughs> is that what these people oh, think? Oh my god, it's it's too it's too good. I mean, they definitely believe that because they believe Dominic Cummings is the sort of Dark Lord Francis. Yeah, we should talk about him now because, yes. in terms of an election against Boris Johnson, he's going to be a main guy that's going to be. I mean, it's people have been saying this new government is more of a campaign machine more than anything else because an election will be on the horizon. He's, sure, and because none of them are competent to actually run their positions. Yeah. I mean, Dominic Cummings, just to explain who he is, he is the former advisor to Michael Gove, and he was one of the key strategists on the Victorious Vote Leave campaign during the 2016 EU referendum. He's held up there as kind of like the key architect of that campaign. Uh, he was found in contempt of parliament in March for refusing to appear before MPs. Yeah, he doesn't think much of uh, most of MPs in parliament. Uh, he is very much an anti-establishment figure, but from the right wing. He, play, he was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the Channel 4 dramatisation. Which is why all these people imagine him as basically being sort of politics Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. But there was an interesting piece from Alex Wickham in BuzzFeed a couple of weeks back called How Dominic Cummings Took Control in Boris Johnson's First Days as Prime Minister. An aide at the meeting asked Cummings if Johnson was preparing for an election before he takes the UK out of the EU. So this is pre-October 31st. Would we have an election day? Cummings responded by emphatically ruling out calling an election before Brexit. Uh, some... Because then, I, I, I suppose the logic there is that that would give people an option which might mean Article 50 could be revoked. Uh, well, even more so that the, the Farage voters are going to go back to, to the Brexit party. Sure. And the polling shows that if there's one before we've properly left the EU, then uh, you know it benefits Nigel Farage to a, a very significant degree. All department special advisers will report to directly to Dominic Cummings rather than the ministers that they work under, a break with the May government, and it's a more centralised form of control. Uh, Cummings told the room that the litmus test for every departmental policy idea should be, does it help deliver Brexit? There's nothing about this government that isn't Brexit, essentially. Um, extra money would be released by the Treasury. Oh, magic money tree coming in there again. Should departments request it uh, to help prepare for no deal? Aides were left in no doubt that they, like their ministers, were required to personally commit to leaving the EU by October 31st, do or die. It was, quote, a bit of a loyalty test, one advisor said. And then there's more on, obviously, that you can read on BuzzFeed from Alex Wickham. But he is certainly someone that um, comes in as more of a threat. And, I mean, he's, I don't want to make him out this mastermind figure like that kind of, you know, the Channel 4 dramatisation made him out to be. But he, he seems to be more of a threat to the Labour Party than the Nick Timothy, Fiona, uh, I've forgotten her last name, a situation under Theresa May, where sure. there was kind of like too many cooks in the kitchen that all thought they were um, the master puppeteer. Yeah, he is fundamentally like pretty good at politics. Like yeah. th that's that's fundamentally what it comes down to. He is, he's pretty good at politics. These are all things where like... If you have a mind for politics, you would have all been like, okay, we need to fundamentally orient ourselves as a Brexit machine. That's extremely logical, but also like the sort of brain viruses that you inherit from being around politics in this country too much would push a lot of people away from it as being like, well, no, that's impossible. So the, the 
the fact that he's willing to commit to that you know does say something about his level of competence yeah i mean anyway i bigger question to follow that up with is i just want want to talk about how the labor party might take on someone like him in a very strategic sense because essentially the two camps are going to be populist in nature and i mean when's the last time we have any sort of in the last 40 years where we had two populists up against each other i mean populist run campaigns anyway of the two main parties there's always been one that's kind of been the more centrist figure uh, whereas now we have the kind of you know trying to take lessons from the bernie sanders campaign in america and trying to use those sorts of lessons in the kind of corbyn camp and then over here we've got Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson trying to do a very populist uh, right-wing version. Um, I, I think that we need to specify what we mean by populist there, where basically, in, because obviously the most fundamental frame of populist, populist means about the, the like, politics should be fundamentally in the hands of the populace yeah. as opposed to in the uh, hands of its antonym. Like, it, its antonym is elitist. Yeah. Like, it, it being in the hands of the people as opposed to in the hands of the elite. The sense in which you might call the Dominic Cummings sort of approach populist is that it is about giving people an outcome that you will secure for them, as opposed to the sort of centrist, quite elitist position of you are electing the person who will rule you, and you're finding the person who will most competently rule you, but fundamentally the thing is you are electing one of your betters to deliver what they see fit, and what they with their sort of great tactical insight will kind of do to and, and this is why they think of it as being apolitical because there isn't a set outcome uh, that it, you're kind of assuring them you're going to fight for mm. there's you know it, it's more that there's a matter of a, a specific like a, a specific vision of leadership and so that that's why you can justifiably call it populist even though Frankly, like it wouldn't be particularly popular. The Conservatives are not a party that believes in putting democratic control in the yeah. hands of the people. Yeah. They're still fundamentally the same party of aristocracy they've always been. But like in in the sense of delivering an outcome and selling an outcome that they will deliver on the people's behalf, there is a populism to it. Lastly, I want to talk about the kind of third party in terms of all of this, aside from the SNP, because uh, there's a different situation going on there. Um, who have said they'll work with Corbyn, but the Lib Dems, no, we won't work with Corbyn for any sort of caretaker government. Um, Joe Swinton, obviously, previously a minister in the coalition government, but won't work with Corbyn to stop no deal. I thought these were the true Remainers that wanted to stop Brexit completely, but they won't well, no, because... work with the government to stop no deal. Well, of course not, because like they have to... The, the, the Liberal Democrat strategy is... 36% of about 36% of seats voted majority remain. If we can get as many of those as we possibly can, that is a greater opportunity than we have ever had. And as a result of that, they have to peel support away from Labour, and in particular, they cannot legitimize Corbyn as being someone who can be trusted on any Brexit issue mm. in any way. So this is this is for them and for their goals a tactically smart thing to do. What it also is, is catastrophically destructive for politics in this country, particularly involving any sort of capacity to secure a like an alternative to a no-deal Brexit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, But they don't care about that because yeah. they are never going to be in a position where they will be the figures accountable for it. I mean, certainly the eyes are on early September when we come back 
to Parliament and there's going to be this vote of no confidence. That is kind of the next big thing on the horizon. Um, I think uh, he's just going to lose it. I think this is the, the point that's, that, you know, would have happened in, in January if the Conservatives had owned up to what that was going on with yeah. Theresa May and Brexit back then. But it's going to be happening now. It just They just needed a new leader to convince Dominic Grieve and all of those to be aghast at all. Yeah, <laughs> I, also, I also think that it's going to be an interesting sort of competition of frames. Uh, in this, it's going to be interesting to see whether the framing of this is the elite trying their hardest they've ever done uh, to push back against the Brexit you voted for versus... Boris Johnson is so incompetent and so bad and so unable to marshal a majority that he even has failed where the failure Theresa May succeeded. And so I fundamentally think that that second one's going to be a much harder sell. And I, th I think that um, certainly there isn't going to be any unity in the counter messaging against this is the people, this is them trying to, this is the elite trying to push back against the people's champion. And I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out, because I fundamentally, I don't think that like the sort of anti-Corbynite factions of the sort of anti-Brexit camp will want to coalesce around any sort of messaging that might be advantageous to Corbyn, because that's also advantageous to the people holding back the circumstances that benefit them. Let's leave it there. We're going a little while. Um, but like I so say, you've been listening to Off The Fence. We'll look ahead to that No Confidence motion and we'll probably be back again next week with some more things that are going on. There's a lot going on in America right now, the Democratic primary, constant gaffe machine that is Joe Biden keeps pumping them out. Like, we say constant gaffe machine, but it, it's very easy to go like, oh, this is an old man who's beginning to lose his grip on things, but... Like, I, I think it's I think it's not that at all. I just think it's what he's been the whole time. You he's, just think he's kind of a scatterbrain. I think he's always been that way. He just can't yeah. really hold his shit together. It just he's. I mean, maybe it's getting a little bit older. It's a little bit more. But people say that about old people all the time. He's just constantly being putting his foot on it for years. You know. Yeah. Meanwhile, I guess you've had like Bernie going on Joe Rogan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I watched that. That was interesting. Did you watch it? Uh, I've I watched some of it. I was really kind of. The, the response to it is, is really good. For yeah. Those, for those that haven't watched it, uh, Bernie Sanders, obviously a uh, potential uh, nominee for president next year for the Democrats, and uh, he went on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, the most popular podcast in the world, I believe. And, and, and he said that if he becomes president, he will be releasing the information about aliens. He will be. Um, like, <laughs> the Joe Rogan That's thing right, is... That's guys. Don't storm Area 51. Just vote Bernie in and you'll get all the info you need. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, the, the fundamental thing is, like... Joe Rogan is the guy who is like so open-minded that his brain fell out. And so <laughs> he gets a lot of people on there who are crackpots, racists. The right wing really loves him because they can go in there and just not be challenged. And like he he kind of he's almost associated with the sort of quote-unquote intellectual dark web thing. Uh, but he also like it's not that he supports those things altogether necessarily as much as that he isn't really a journalist and doesn't yeah. know how to push back against these things or question these things. And so where a lot of other people would have the hostility uh, towards Bernie that the sort of political class and the pundit class reflexively has in America, uh, he just fundamentally is trying to... He's spending the entire, entire time fundamentally going, man, I wonder if I can ask him whether he's ever tried DMT. <laughs> and so 
you know, fundamentally, Bernie appears to have come off really well, being given a chance to lay out his worldview. It turns out that the left worldview of a guy who identifies as a socialist is actually, when it's allowed to be presented, like, on its own terms, like, f like put out there without sort of a reflexive and immediate hostility, it's actually what most people are quite sympathetic to and what most people find reasonable. I wonder where we've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, uh, it's hard to think of any other comparable media outlet that, that um, for a start, that Jeremy Corbyn could find here in the UK, uh, but also that Bernie Sanders can follow up with that maybe is bigger than exactly. uh, the Joe Rogan experience. So it's, it's hard to see how it moves beyond that, but this could be a potentially really interesting thing. It could be, it could be. It was a very big response to it. Anyway, we'll follow up with that more. This has been Off The Fence. Uh, soundcloud.com slash off the fence and apple podcast subscribe on there as well follow us on at off the fence talk on twitter uh, i've been james fox i'm alex maskell cheers